0: Hi, this is the Family Business Podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping family businesses thrive. I'm your host, Russ Hayworth, and I work with family businesses to help them to navigate the highs and lows that can come with working with your family. Each week I will share insights and experiences from my own work and from other advisors from around the world. You will also hear directly from family businesses who have been kind enough to share their own stories. If you want to find out more about the show, just head over to fanbizpodcast.com and you can get in touch with me there and find all our previous episodes. If you're enjoying the show, I'd be very grateful if you'd leave me a review in iTunes. It helps others to find the show and it gives me a warm fuzzy feeling in my belly. Just head over to fanbizpodcast.com forward slash iTunes and follow the link. Anyway, it's time for this week's show. Enjoy. Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Family Business Podcast. Uh, I'm joined today by a previous guest who has um, luckily agreed to come back on the show again and talk to us. Um, So good morning to Ken McCracken, who is a family business consultant. Um, Ken, welcome to the show and uh, thank you again for your time this morning.
1: Thank you, Ross. Good to see you again. Um,
0: And the topic of our conversation today is about how a family business might want to construct a team of trusted advisors. And we're asking the question, is the traditional model of advice fit for purpose? Um, You have written a report on this, which we will link in the um, show notes. Um, But before we get into that, perhaps um, for those of our audience that haven't heard um, you before, um, give a brief introduction and uh, how you came to be doing what you're doing today.
1: Okay. Um, By way of introduction, I... practiced as a lawyer for about 25 years who then found us into the world of family business knowledge around about the mid-90s and then I transitioned from being a lawyer to being a consultant which I've been now for for many years uh, and worked in different parts of the world with a variety of different families Mm -hmm. and I get involved a bit in the teaching and education side of things too. Yeah absolutely. Um,
0: We are going to be talking about um, advice and, and how family business yeah. can get advice, but it, it's probably important to start to put that into some context around what we mean by when we're, we're talking about advice, so we're not necessarily um, talking about their marketing plan, for example, yeah, it, yeah. it's more about the legal and accounting, would that be fair Well, to say? I,
1: I think the for, for me, the work is now very much focused on um, how families continue to organize themselves and their relationship with the businesses that they own in order to be successful, which we will call governance. Uh-huh. And the need for any changes to that usually arises during the intergenerational transition. So all my work is around families who are thinking, how do we need to be organized to continue being successful? And often then you're dealing with the realities of that um generational transfer mm. um, so my work although I draw on law and accounting and finance and organizational development and family systems theory, it's not it's all of that. you're really working with the the entirety of the family mm. and all their business and all their other assets to try and figure out how do we keep going forward together, yeah,
0: and I think it's fair to say that um oftentimes families don't necessarily know where to turn for that advice because traditionally they would have conversations with their accountant, for example, yeah. and then um, conversations with their lawyer, and they may have a financial planner or a, a business coach. Or um, th- There's various different areas that they can um, get advice from. And I think what we're going to be talking about today is whether going and having advice from your accountant, then going to see your lawyer, then going to see someone else, whether that's the best way for people to receive their advice or whether there is an alternative where it's a bit more Um, collaborative, would that be fair?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think there's um, different strokes for different folks. Folks will want to do this in ways that suit them. But I think, yeah, coming from the legal profession, I think I have a reasonably sound grasp of this, that we have a, a model of advising in which the dominant paradigm is specialisms. So everyone has a deep knowledge and understanding of a particular aspect of the reality of our family business clients' lives. Now, they live in a complex world in which not everything can be reduced to a series of technical problems to which there will be a specialist answer. Mm -hmm. So I think the challenge, and it's a really fascinating and interesting challenge, is how do advisors collaborate and combine their advice and service of the interests of the clients based on their reality. Mm. So we need to sort of climb. We need to continue to develop specialists because they are de- definitely needed. But we have to find effective ways of collaborating in our multidisciplinary team. Mm.
0: And that not always as um, common as you, you might expect in terms of collaboration. And um, a, a short story is that the, the birth of the podcast was actually out of um, me writing a book. Mm -hmm. I was writing a book on the challenges that family businesses face around succession um, and did a lot of interviews with um, various experts and family businesses and and, um, professional advisors. And that sort of brought uh, out the idea of the podcast. But during that um, process, the, the number one thing that most of the professional advisors were saying was there should be more collaboration and there should be more of us working with Good. other professions. It, it seemed as well as if a lot of those were putting the emphasis on the other professions not helping, but it didn't matter whether you spoke to an accountant or a lawyer. Yeah. There's always someone, the other side's fault, if you like. Um, but if we look at the the way in which um, sort of you, you have a most trusted advisor, if you like, in terms of... Um, typically the business owner may go to their accountant as their first port of call. And there are pros and cons to that. Mm -hmm. Um, But but in context of greater collaboration, where where are the opportunities there for um, things to perhaps be different?
1: Yeah, I think the, um, well, first of all, it's good to know from your own work, Russ, that the, the advisory community is aware of this. So let's interpret that as a, and there's an appetite among advisors to find an effective way to do this, mm. which is a good start. Um, however, personally, I have a bit of trouble with the idea of there just being one most trusted advisor. It, it's a term that's used often. It's, I think, perceived as a pivotal role, an influential role.
0: It's almost an aspiration for some, isn't it? Yeah, we want
1: to be in that pivotal position. And, and, and other terms are used... Um, to try and explain what it means, um, some call it the the conductor who directs the rest of the orchestra. Some call that well, to use an Americanism. It's the quarter pack that's uh-huh. sort of directing the team. There's also the term gatekeeper that is used, which is one that probably troubles me most because it yeah. does conjure up in my mind the idea of the advisor keeping the client captive and uh-huh. basically keeping the advisors away from the client. Yeah. I just think this idea of there being a particular person in that role um, doesn't help collaboration because really what the clients I think need are the different specialisms that they need access to and they need them to collaborate effectively. Mm. And I think the leadership of the team, will be driven by the task at hand. I mean, if the clients are buying a property, they want their property advisors, but they yeah. might need them to collaborate with the tax people. Mm-hmm. If they're they're trying to create a, a, a legal document, they'll get the lawyers in advance, but they might need to speak to the financial advisor about the long-term planning and care. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think the team has to figure out how to collaborate without necessarily any of them wanting to occupy this most trusted advisor position. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's. I mean, I, I I suppose it depends. Advisors have to approach that as as they see fit. But there, there's something kind of you say we aspire to have that power and control over the clients' lives. Mm-hmm. I just not. Think, I just don't think that's what team advising is meant to be mm-hmm. about. It's, it's delivering a more effective service. And if you have to be a very small player in a, in, in in a team, why not accept that graciously and do yeah. your job effectively?
0: And I think as well. Um, we see quite often with, um, again, generational um, transition. Mm-hmm. There's an appetite for the next generation to change the advisory team because they are seen as their parents' advisors because they have yeah. that level of control over the, the business. It's not something that is – that there's a huge amount of longevity there because the relationship they've built is everything has to go through me and I'm, I'm seen as
1: the, the gatekeeper to, to everything else. And yeah, I mean it's- disrupted. Yeah, so I think that you know, if you're, if if you want to make this about an individual in that position, then there's a problem of succession in the role of most trusted advisor. Mm. So it might suit the individual for the duration of their professional career, and they might think, well, that's all I'm interested in. I don't have to think about what next. But I think we could do better than that. I mean, I think if you're putting the as you've just said, trust. If if the reality of the clients lives are that they will transition between generations then the advisory community that serves them has to have a transition plan in order how to do that effectively Mm -hmm. because that's the reality of their client's life it's not a transaction it's not just a moment in time there is a a a longer duration Mm -hmm. that has to be approached strategically and thought through carefully yeah and that's where a team approach
0: can um
1: well, a collaborative uh,
0: approach can be advantageous to everybody involved because it does it has a longer term view almost by, by default because you're, you're looking at it from different perspectives rather than just, uh, I'm a, let's say, a 65-year-old accountant who's got a, a year left. Are, are you going to do the same job for um, a client or a, a family business in terms of transition as you would if you had other people in the team who were perhaps having a, a longer career ahead of them?
1: Yeah, I think so, and, and also there's the you know realities of commercial life. You know, those who are in a, a, an advisory position now have to make a living from that. That's mm-hmm. what their motivation is. But it doesn't have to be all it is. You can do that very effectively over the duration of your professional life, but take responsibility for ensuring that the clients are going to be well served beyond the duration of your particular. Mm. Uh, working life. Yeah. Um, but you know our, our short-term interest is obviously part of any relationship but it, it surely has not to be everything. We can do better than that. Yeah. And I'm sure there's many that want to do better than that. I mean if, if if there are advisors who think of nothing other than this month's income or this annual what well, that's fine. You know it's, it's up to the customers the clients to choose their advisors carefully mm. and if yeah. they want advisors who have a genuine concern about the long-term interests of the family and their enterprise, they should ask and make inquiries of their advisors to make sure that Mm. they share that aspiration. Yeah and
0: that gatekeeper role that we've been um, talking about can also lead to some um, other difficulties and I've been in the, the situation where the gatekeeper has to be in every meeting. Has to listen to every bit of advice, and then yeah. rather than the family say, "Okay, that that sounds reasonable," they will immediately turn to the gatekeeper and go, "Does that sound right?" And then, so who becomes your client? You yeah, who comes? To, yeah, yeah. It's good the the yeah. gatekeeper, or are you talking to the family? And um, I've even had um, uh, one guy who um, didn't want to have the meeting. Um, literally without that person sat in the room because they had that much influence now that could be seen as a positive from the gatekeeper's perspective because they've obviously built trust with that client but if we're talking about stuff that is not their expertise or their specialism then you've got to hope that they know enough about it to to give a a decent judgement on
1: that well I think people who have that responsibility it sounds and with that comes power have to exercise it very carefully Mm. I think one of the the kind of things we watch when working with clients is to avoid creating any dependency. Yeah, we I mean, really our our mission and and what in working with family businesses is help them to understand the challenges they face and help them to make better decisions so that they can get on with their lives. We are not we're there to facilitate that. We're not there to become part of the network yeah. on, on a sort of permanent basis. Um, and uh, I just would feel very uncomfortable if a client felt so dependent that they were not willing to do things independently mm. of their advisors yes. and make decisions and hold meetings and all that stuff. Completely. But maybe there's, a, maybe there's a different approach among some advisors who believe that that is their role, that is how they can be helpful by being superior, being dominant and taking control in that way. Well, mm. that's, I suppose there's always going to be different styles of advising out there. Yeah,
0: yeah absolutely. And... One of the things you touch on in um, the report as well is the the idea of sharing best practice, and uh, yeah, um, you know, as advisors, we should be sharing um, that. But 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 as a concept, do you agree with the concept of best practice? I'm doing the air comment. Yeah, here. It won't come across <laughs> on the podcast. Um, but but um, best practice is, is another buzzword that mm-hmm. that is
1: thrown around. But um, what are your views on it? I. My experience has made me deeply suspicious of it. Um, I, I think when I started doing this work, we back in the nineties and you'd learned all this amazing stuff and you were going out to clients and saying, this is kind of what you ought to do because it's best practice. And so there's it's quite an important sentence that you're, you're making a normative statement about what someone ought to do that's based on a standard that's outside of their family nothing to do with their family it's something out here research or other experiences said you should have a family constitution or a family council or something like that well i suppose i had the good fortune to meet clients who were thoughtful enough and compassionate enough to say no we don't need that um so is that it is that all you can do to help (laughs) we still need we we think we need help in understanding what's going on and making decisions but those decisions have got to be based on our traditions our values, our way of doing stuff, not measured against some external best practice, and incidentally, who decided that was best? Uh-huh. Um, and that's kind of rocked me back. And I used to have these rather arrogant conversations. That's a judgment on myself with clients. Sort of, I know better. Well, well, they're the ones that have run the business for a hundred years. So you've got to then start afresh and say, well, you're doing something right. Yeah. Now. It might look idiosyncratic to an outsider, and you think, "How does that work?" But if they've been doing that for a hundred years, then it does work. Uh-huh. And there's no point in measuring that against an external best practice and then saying, "Well, it should. It could be better. You should." And this is a very patronising term. You should professionalise. Uh-huh. So I, I just sort of started to go in a different, di- a, a different direction, and believe that the, the the task of the advisor is to try and understand the way the family like to do things uh-huh. so that your help is um, compatible with their way of doing things. It's not my position to judge if it's good or bad or anything else. If it works for them, then it works. Uh-huh. And I think carrying around my bag of best practices and then saying, well, you're not doing it this way. What, what, yeah. what where does that actually get us? I don't think it gets us very far. I think you described it as a buzzword. It's you know we all probably use it in our marketing to elevate or add a sheen to our services. Good marketing, but I would be, I just well, the, the, let's put it this: the families that I work with would share that view. And in fact, yeah. some have said it's very refreshing because we're just fed up being told we're not very good. Yeah. And then you think, well. We are successful, so <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. how, how does that how does that work i mean the The classic was a, a family that didn 't have a board of directors you no know, because they didn 't like meeting together right, but they 've run a successful business as many families do by staying out of each other 's way. They operated in silos, mm. so the suggestion they should have a board and have more regular meetings and all that good stuff which will work for several families would definitely not work for mm. them. And in fact, would have probably caused a lot of harm. Because the idea of them doing that would have raised their anxiety, their imminent threat of conflict. And all the effort and time, they might have thought, well, what was the point of that? We were doing perfectly fine without it. So for them, the challenge was, can we replicate it? Can we keep doing it the way we like doing it? rather than starting with an assumption that somehow having regular board meetings was going to be better. Mm.
0: I think the danger from an advisor's perspective as well, if you're taking the view of best practice is to have a board, for example, is you become shut off to the other options as well. If, if you're sat there in your mind and thinking, right, well, I know what best practice is because the, it's the buzzword mm. and, and it is to have this professionalisation and this governance and all of this kind of stuff, but it doesn't suit that family. You, you're not necessarily going to be doing the right job for the client because you're sat there thinking, I'm waiting for the opportunity to say, now's the time to have a board or now's yeah. the time to have this and, and not really being present for the client.
1: Well, I think that's, I mean, I, I would confess guilt to that in, in my in my previous life. You know, you were waiting for the moment when you could demonstrate your expertise mm. by talking about what you, what you knew about. Now, that's okay, but it's not very helpful if that's not relevant to the client. So as yeah. you say, you've got to be... You've got to be sort of very present. I think there's probably a strand running through this as well that you've alerted me to, which is, um, you know, we are under pressure to deliver as, as advisors, and it kind of eases that process to have answers. The answer is create a constitution. The answer is create a trust. Yeah, whatever they have, have a pension plan. Yeah. So you can get to what you think is a proficient answer um, quicker and believe that just getting there quickly is going to be most helpful to the client. Um, It does take time, as you've used the phrase, to be present in the meeting and a different set of skills. Um, So I'm sure there will always be those who will continue to propound a best practice approach and there will be some of us who say, well, I'm not so sure. Mm. I'm kind of in that other camp. Maybe the minority at the moment, but gladly, uh, a lot of the clients we work with, they shake their heads and you know dismay when they hear about best practice because yep. they say yeah we don't really believe it either yeah and i, I know of a, a family that um i've worked with whose
0: accountant came in and, and said in their pitch we work with family businesses you need a family constitution and it was in their pitch that they didn't ask any questions it was just in there saying you need one it,
1: yeah it was, it was, it was, it was and down in you your part of the UK, uh, Russ, I was with the family yesterday. Who were saying something very similar? They'd gone to a presentation about how to fund, and well, they're in a particular sector. And their conclusion was: if they'd actually taken the advice, they'd have gone bust. Right. So, <laughs> it, you know, I, I, so that's their their opinion. Maybe maybe they're right. Maybe they're not. But that's how quickly they had this ca- discarded what was proffered hope you know one assumes genuinely believing that this was a good idea Mm. so best practices you know they're convenient some people like them they're commoditized and that might work it's just making the clients believe that that is actually the best way to go about it Mm. and as you and I both know there's Family businesses are much more interesting than just measuring by best practice, finding the gap and offering to fill it. Yeah. They are fascinating, but you've got to develop the knowledge and the skills to enter their world mm. and be present and effective and be and to be helpful. Yeah. Um, but I think there's plenty of opportunity for more people to do that. Completely, and I think that's where an understanding of,
0: again, using air commerce, best practice helps as a professional is that you got, you can see examples where certain um, approaches have been used in the past as as part of what you do but not as the only answer yeah,
1: of what you do yeah. oh, cl- families love to know how other families have done, done mm-hmm. stuff that's but the i don't i don't know who has the right to then dob best practice and <laughs> yeah. some and therefore presumably those who are not doing it that way are evidence of worst practice yeah the, the difficulty is those who are apparently worse practice are doing quite fine. Yeah. So again, they must be doing something right, but don't fall into that trap of having to judge something to be better or worse. Mm. Fact, clients want to know how do other people do this and then we'll select or devise something that works for us, Yeah. which I think is fascinating. Mm.
0: I completely agree. And I think one of the important aspects of advice is obviously trust and mm-hmm. trust in an individual trust in an organization um it it can be difficult sometimes at the early stages of a relationship to um to fully appreciate whether you can or cannot trust a, a professional generally you would you'd know the reputation of their organization and, yeah. and do some yeah. research on it um but in what we're talking about, in terms of a much more collaborative approach, how important is trust in that that people are bringing in the right people at the right time,
1: and for the right reasons? Well, a massive topic that isn't it. Um, a couple of comments. I think there's there's a lot around. Uh, well, I, I hear I hear a lot around um, the relationship side of this. So. In, in, in the report that you mentioned, I, 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 I draw on the, on the work of, of another social scientist who said, look, we can divide that into broadly two categories. There are people who are generally trusting, who expect their willingness to trust others to be re, to be reciprocated and not abused. Fine. And there's others who are more suspicious and they tend to have a circle of trust that is based on some sort of common characteristics, um, social, educational, Kinship um, members of the same club, some sort of connect, some sort of connection that then makes them uh, able to trust those people, but be distrustful of others who are outside that community. Well, that's fine. That's just the way you are. That's. I think that's just you know people. If folk only want to work with people they know, then they have to. They will feel confident with that, but they've restricted the potential pool in which they are. Um, Trying to select yeah. advisors from, so I think the this you know, the relationship side, um, and I suppose that's why we go out and do networking, where and we join associations, and we want to enter these communities and to gain their trust, and 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 it works for some people. It has downsides. The most obvious example being affinity fraud, where people abuse a common connection Madoff being the primary yep. example I give and then they abused that albeit that they had got into the relationship in the first case because their clients had assumed mm-hmm. that they could be trusted because they came from the same background so you know the, but I think the 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 approaches to the to the relationship kind of does I try to uh, explain that and that's just who you are but I'm also interested at, at the beginning as to the level that people, trust and competence um, and demonstrable expertise, mm-hmm. because I mean, after a conversation I'm going to uh, get on a flight, I, I don't really care how whether I like the pilot or not, I just want to be able to take <laughs> off and land. I want to be competent and I assume the systems by which she's been trained and reviewed and appraised have all put in place a trustworthy system by which I can then, without knowing even who this person is, trust in their competence. Uh And I I think we do that a lot in life. We, you know, I put my car in the garage. I don't know what they do, but I presume they know what they're doing, that I can trust them. So there's, I think the, it seems odd to me, I think it seems odd that we so promote the relationship side of things, which matters. And almost take competence for granted, just as though people are saying, though, well, people who are not interested in competence, they can't kind of judge that." What it, it's all about the personal relationship. Mm-hmm. I think the competence really does matter. Yeah. Um, and for some people, it will matter above all else. They might not even want to like their advisors; they just want to know they're doing a good job yeah, absolutely. and are the best that they that, that they can access. Clients have to make these decisions. I'm just sort of picking apart what's quite a complex thing and trying to sort of set it out the relationship bit and the other aspects oh. of trust, um, and then we can think about it, and maybe mobilise it better than building building effective relationships. Oh. Um I mean, people, we all come from a background. We all are who we are. Um, we can't. Can't do much about it I suppose but if that's the only basis upon which we can build trusting relationships we're all going to end up working with people who are like us Yeah, I think our world is far more complex far more vast and it cannot be based on that so you have to have other ass- other things upon which clients can base their trust and I think the most obvious one would be a demonstrable competence of what you're setting out to do mm. Yeah, completely agree with that completely agree
0: um, You talk in the uh, report about the Um, concept of shared purpose Um, and it it was something that um, I found very interesting so can we expand on what you mean by that and then perhaps have a a bit of a conversation around that
1: well we are certainly not alone in this um, view of family businesses but the the fundamental question for any family business and certainly one that's contemplating going forward is why do you want to be in business with your relatives Mm -hmm. Um, someone else described it why would you opt to be in a relationship of financial interdependence with your relative that's what being in a family business is all about yeah so what is the answer and the only people that can answer that are the family now thankfully it is among the most well-researched areas of the family family business knowledge and practice and that keeps coming back and telling us that Successful families prioritize their financial success, but there's invariably another set of reasons that they want to, that, more, well, that motivate them to be in business together. The academics call it socio-emotional wealth, mm-hmm. just call it non-economic reasons. So I think for the family, that's important. And for the advisors, it's important to know. Yes. Um, and we can't provide the answer, um, you have to help the family figure it out for themselves. Uh-huh. But by way of a simple example, you know, a family that wants to build their business and sell it in ten years has a fantastic reason for being in business together, and all their decisions and all their advice will be targeted towards achieving that outcome. Uh-huh. A family that wants to be in business for another hundred years and pass it on through generations have a similar motivation, but I presume that the advice and help they need will be different. Yeah. Now, if the, if we as advisors don't know what the family are trying to achieve through being in business together, how do we align our advice to um, helping them to achieve success as they define success? Oh. And the only thing we can do then, if we are not able to grasp that, is make assumptions. Yeah. And what are the chances of our assumptions being right? Well, I think pretty remote. Oh. And we simplify it to the kind of really base level of Everybody, everyone wants to maximise return and mitigate tax, Yeah. okay? If, if, the problem now is that the research says, well, that's not what we're learning from family businesses. In fact, it doesn't actually feature in the lists of why do families want to be in business together. So yeah. in a sense, we're challenged to say if, if that's the kind of, maybe I'm being a bit simplistic about it, but if that's the assumption upon which we base our advice. We now know from research and plenty of it that is wrong. Mm. If you then work, if you work with a family and you find out why they want to be in business together and you can then understand it, you can then, as an advisor, do something incredibly thoughtful, helpful and creative work yep. for that family and the next one will be different and the one after that will be different. How interesting is that? Yeah, Instead absolutely. of assuming that all these families have the same set of motivations, yep. you find out what they're actually all about and then you align your advice to was achieving their goals. Mm. I just think that adds a lot more variety and colour to being an advisor. Absolutely, and it goes back to what we were saying
0: earlier about best practice. Yeah. Because if if you're going in there with a set of assumptions that everybody wants to save tax, everybody wants to um, maximise profits for a, a business sale, for example, then the best practice solution for that is what's going to be top of your mind, rather than actually taking the time and effort to understand. Why the family is in business together, what their shared purpose is, and uh, aligning your advice to
1: that. Yes, and 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 I think if there is to be a collaborative team of advisors, they all have to understand it. They all have to respect it. Um, why do I say that? Well, I, you know, I, I I do feel it's not our role as advisors to judge. Or have an opinion about why our families are in business uh-huh. is, is to understand and then make sure that what we do is going to help them. Yeah. Um. If you've if you ever come across an advisor whose motivation for being in business you find unacceptable or whatever, don't work for them. Mm. But but the worst situation I, I I would have to say is we are we make assumptions as advisors, which is adopting. I de- was making a decision to remain ignorant. And then we provide the client with advice. And if the client doesn't take that advice, the advisor might say, well, I don't understand why they didn't take that advice. Mm. That's a kind of routine. You could go on another path and say, I wonder why they're in business. I need to understand this. We then need to figure out what we can do. And you you just start from, you start down a different road altogether. Mm. It's, I, I mean, I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty relaxed about it. I think you just have to see to the, from the from the advisor's perspective and the family's perspective. There's a choice, okay. and it may take a bit longer to figure out the why you're in business and what's the shared purpose and all of that. But there's a far richer uh, outcome for the clients by doing that. And I think a far more fascinating set of challenges for advisors. Completely. And uh, taking the example of the assumption that everybody wants to
0: save tax, if that's not the if, if there's a, a broader goal that means you incur more tax, it's just making sure that the family are aware that that's the implications of what they're um, saying as their purpose. Yeah. And they make their decision based on that. Absolutely. It's not for us to say, well, you can't do that because you have to save this tax here because that's how I'm doing my job. <laughs> I get measured on yeah. how much tax I save you. Um, it, it goes beyond that, and it, it's it's aligning the advice entirely with the shared purpose should be how advisors feel rewarded,
1: rather than I've saved the x amount of tax, as an example. I think so. I think, and, and there's 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 plenty other uh, I think other examples of the same kind of model, but it's all. I mean, I think it's it's just fascinating. I think do 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 do, do advisors feel confident in making assumptions that they know what their clients want before they've actually had a conversation that starts with, well, why do you want to be in business with your family? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, even taking this to maybe to an extreme, if you ask the question and somebody says, well, the answer is, I don't. Well, well, the advisory route then has to be, how do we separate this family's interests at the least emotional and financial cost? Yeah. wherever we'd assume that their assumption, that they wanted to, continue and the goal was to preserve wealth, we create structures around their lives that tie them together yep. into what, a life of which, which could turn out to be relatively miserable. Yeah. And the fault in that process is um, somewhere early on in the relationship, the conversation that needed to be had was not had. Uh-huh. The client didn't volunteer, but nor did the advisor inquire. Why do you want to be in business with your family? And if the answer is, well, do you know what? I don't really. Then that would have started a whole set of advisory challenges, yep. which I've, I've never seen the light of day because everyone assumed continuity, preservation, tax mitigation, all that good stuff, was de facto always going to be the answer. Yep. I, I think it's it's challenging, but I think, as I keep saying it's yeah. really interesting. That is interesting. Isn't it? <laughs> and that brings me on to, to my next question in terms of, I mean,
0: we're... Perhaps slightly biased, because um we work with family businesses. but but, in terms of family businesses seeking advice, should they seek out people who have an understanding of family businesses? And I guess it's difficult to um, quantify an understanding of family business because somebody could work with family businesses and not know anything about family systems and systems theory and things like that. And we're not suggesting that has to be the the benchmark for advisors, but how important is it that there is an understanding of things like family dynamics
1: when looking for and giving advice? I think the answer is um, pretty obvious, but if you've reshaped your question, Ross, and said, if you were um, wanting to enter the world of private equity, okay, take any example, but let's just take private equity. You'd kind of want to know the advisor was in the private equity world, that they knew whatever goes on in that world, where the sources of finance were, what the negotiating tactics were, the upsides, the downsides, the legal agreements, the blah, 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 blah. So you'd want to know that they knew about that. So if you're going into the family business world, it seems obvious that you would say how well equipped are my advisors with the knowledge that is up-to-date and contemporary Mm -hmm. around that field. Now, the great news for the clients and the advisors is there's plenty of it now. It's accessible. Um, There's no reason to not know that stuff. And I think those who want to provide a superior service to the clients from the advisory side will seek it out. Mm. And some will then um, become expert lawyers and accountants and bankers and pension advisors because they see dimensions of every challenge with the additional knowledge and expertise that they have yeah now i think the uh, the, from the family side they're getting access to a lot of this through family business associations and conferences and uh, literature and so forth so i think the the challenge is now that the If I could put it this way, the demand side from the customer is getting more sophisticated Mm -hmm. and the supply side has got to match up. So for every advisor, working for a lot of family businesses over years, I'm sure does build up a a reservoir of experience, but the world is now much beyond that. And I think it's reasonable for, for clients to say, what have you invested in, in terms of developing your expertise around family businesses and what's happening in the world? Mm-hmm. And for the advisory firms is a choice. If you want to be in the family business space, then invest in training and development of staff to make sure that they are expert at doing that. Mm-hmm. If you don't, don't. That's yeah. a it's just a commercial choice as to how you allocate your training budget. But there's definitely much, much more now. Um and I and in 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 the space than just your professional specialism combined with a bit of experience or inherited yeah. wisdom from your mentors, mm. and I think the customers are, know that and they're expecting yeah. a better standard. Mm.
0: And I think I'm, I'm not not going to name names, but I, I, was a, oh, um, <laughs> I was with a lawyer. I was with a lawyer last week, and, and I mentioned that I specialise in, in working with family businesses, and his response was, "A business is a business, isn't it?" and you kind of go right okay you would expect or i would expect perhaps again from a biased perspective that there would be an understanding that there is a difference with um when people work with their family and as soon as i started to explain some of the nuances that can come of it it's, oh yeah of course yeah and then it, it's a, it was at a subconscious level that there was that understanding but it wasn't something that he would go in and have any different approach to working
1: with yeah and i, th- I think i think there's um well, a that's that just denies reality now, Completely. and it denies you know decades of knowledge and research, which says the defining characteristic of this commercial enterprise is the presence of, of a family and yeah. the interactions that then happen. Okay, you 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 can choose to deny reality, but the the conventional wisdom is probably still every business should be treated like a business. Uh-huh. Um, okay, fine. I just think it's. We're almost at a stage where we could say, maybe I'm slightly ahead here, but that is bound to fail because the families know it's not, Uh and they're now learning it's not, Uh and they're talking to other families to say, no, it's all about the interconnected reality of our lives. You really need to get your hands around this. Good news is there's a lot of knowledge out there. There's, There's some advisors who are trying to do that. Make sure you choose the ones that know what they're doing, yep. like you would if you were doing anything else in, in, in choosing advisors. And those who want to cleave to the old idea that every business is a business, thats I'm sure it will sustain them for a while, but I think we're moving in a direction where eventually the families will seek out yep. advisors who are doing better than that. Yep. I, I agree. Mm.
0: And and again, that,
1: that brings us nicely on to...
0: Um, the alternative to what we've been describing as there being a gatekeeper and there being a particular specialist that holds the key to, to the relationship. What sort of approach would you be um, looking for from a team of professional advisors in terms of delivering a, a great outcome for,
1: for the family business? Yeah, I think it's, it, it takes us back, Russ, to earlier on this conversation where you, you your reference or mentioned advisors sort of talking about this, you know, we need to do this. And I've had plenty of conversations like that too within organisations for whom I've worked and among you know, representatives from different organisations who all work for the same client. Mm. Um, so that's the good news. Um, your question is, well, what do we do about it? Well, that gets more difficult. Yeah. Um, however, what I did was look at how other high-performing teams function and um, if you're having an operation you're surrounded by a high performing team we've got orchestras we've got sports teams and you know so there's tons of literature out there about high performing teams and I thought well so there's nothing new in that is mm-hmm. how do you apply it to a, a team of advisors from different organizations who are having to collaborate in serving the same client mm-hmm. and you know the the things that you learn you know I think would be there is the team has a very clear common purpose. Win the game, uh-huh. S- you know, save the patient, whatever it is, get people out of the building that, that's on fire. Yeah. Then I said, well, for advisors working for families, that has to be what we've <coughs> talked about is the shared purpose. Why is that family in business? We all have to understand it. We all have to respect it. And then we have to, as a team, say, what do we do about it? Well, then the team breaks down that into assign a, a series of tasks and who is doing what on the team. Uh-huh. And in doing that, they resolve any territorial disputes among organisations where both could provide a particular service, but for the purpose of being in this team, they're not going to waste their time competing with each other. Uh-huh. They're going to say, well, there's how this team has to be assembled and, well, I could do that work in this occasion. You're doing that work, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to then try and undermine you because yeah. I'm doing that. I'm undermining the team. So we we kind of agree what our boundaries are, and then you just keep following the kind of logic of of um, what seems to be the literature and teams functioning. Mm-hmm. For example, team incentives. Now we talked about you know team bonuses and. Industries, there's lots of that. No, so why why doesn't that apply to a team of advisors? If the team performs well, mm. should the team receive a financial incentive um, rather than every individual member in the team only being concerned about their own income, yep. commission and fees, or whatever? They're actually interested in the performance of the overall team mm. because they have an incentive to make sure that the team delivers in the way that it's undertaken to do so. Yeah, um, the team will have to trust each other. <laughs> operate in that way Mm. um and which is easier said than done in some respects isn't it because
0: it's you know the, the the again in the the interview process for the for the book it was um it became apparent that there was a reluctance in some respects because it was felt the other professionals would kind of check up on them and Cut across their advice and go. Well, yeah, you could do that, or and undermine them a little bit, and, and therefore it's easier not to expose yourself to that danger of being undermined than it is to actually work with somebody and, and build that trust over time. But because it's the right thing to do, for but the then you're client. saying, or well, are you saying, the problem is that advisors can't trust each other? I think um, sometimes there, a particular chat I had um, brought this home is that there was. Um, or almost a reluctance to to be scrutinized by somebody else in the professional space in case it cut across the, the, what they were trying to, to achieve. But that mm. goes back to that shared purpose and the best practice. It's kind of the, the counter argument to that is if you're going in with a mindset of my advice is the only advice that really matters and really counts, you're going to shut the doors off to uh, any other form of yeah. um, advice there, which we're I think arguing that is probably the wrong
1: thing to do. for Yeah, the because I mean, clients. I mean that doesn't sound very team-like because teams. No. I mean, I mean there may be people who believe. I, mean, I, I think this would be reasonable that the best type of team is made up of individuals each pursuing their own selfish interest, and that that will work itself out, and you'll get the optimum performance from the team. Mm. um the alternative is that the team has to figure out how to collaborate and uh, work together to get the best performance out of the team. So at that level, advisors have to be willing to trust each other mm-hmm. to act in the best interest of the team and not to pr- pursue their self-interest to the disadvantages of another team member. It requires people who are concerned about team performance to speak up. If there's an advisor that's not delivering then they should be held. They should be held accountable. Right. And if there's a team bonus, there's a real snap to that accountability because mm-hmm. that person's performance might be undermining the team getting the bonus. Yeah. I I also suggest in, in 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 the report I wrote that if there's difficulty with this, which I think there is. I mean, I don't I'm very very practical about it. Then why don't we take the advice we give to our clients, our family business clients, which is write it down. Mm. And we say, well, you you mentioned (laughs) earlier, have a family constitution, so we write it down and we make it very clear and everyone understands the rules and this is what ownership means and this is what the family council does, blah, blah, blah. Well, why can't we have a family advisor's constitution that says, to be part of this, to have the opportunity to work with this family, you have to abide by the following protocols or guidelines or codes of conduct in regard to your conduct. Mm. And failure to do so would eventually lead to you being removed from the team yeah Uh, teams have to share information i think clients get a bit frustrated about having to tell the same things over and over again to different advisors i i told him that can you not no we don't share information Mm. doesn't sound very team-like to me so i think the challenge i don't think any of that strikes me as innovative because it's kind of almost bog standard in the literature about teams Uh uh-huh What seems to be challenging is how do we apply that to the advisory community who, and I'm part of that, have become used to working in isolation, each doing our own thing to a high standard of professionalism, wanting to get paid often as much as possible as we can negotiate, Uh and that's all we're interested in. Um, Well, that's not team advising. That's assuming that the client having a series of bilateral relationship with advisors who have that motivation Uh can somehow accumulate into fantastic cohesive advice yeah and um, i think that's now being challenged that the advisors need clients who are willing so advisors clients need advisors who are willing to collaborate yeah and that brings the challenges for the advisors are you willing to share information are you willing to share reward are you willing to do what's the best interest of the team even if it is not in your self-interest mm-hmm. and i think as
0: well there's um an alternative to to that uh, as i see is um if there's a reluctance from the client to have their accountant, lawyer, financial planner, all in the same room at the same time, it's because each of those advisors is potentially on the clock and they're paying three times the hourly rate to have that person sat in front of them when the, the meeting may be focused on the legal aspects of something. It, whereas having a team approach where it's agreed who's best placed to go in and deliver that bit and to go in and run those conversations yeah. kind of takes that off the table a little bit because you're not sat there for example paying your account of three hours pay for him to say six words
1: yeah i think so because if if the team is functioning well and they've decided their respective tasks and they respect the boundaries around that then the client says i need to do this so they they go to who would be the lead advisor for the team on that and they assume that that advisor can then phone up the other people on the team and say right they've asked us to do this can you do this bit for me and the other team member will say, of course I will, because there was another occasion when that team member was in the leadership position and had made the same call to the other advisor and uh-huh. said, I'm now in charge of this team. Can you do this bit for me? Yeah. And it it, it, just, it it is a different working relationship mm. and um, it's challenging because... That's not how we're used to doing things, and that's not how most organizations with advisors measure their performance. So we really go back deeply into the advisory organizations and say, to really deliver a team-based model, we have to kind of reconfigure quite a lot, Mm -hmm. attitudinally, uh, contractually, um, how we rate and measure performance. Yeah. Um, And that makes it very challenging. Mm. But not, not, if it's imaginable, it's doable. Someone's going to eventually say, Completely. yeah, we can do that. And I think um, as well that there's almost a
0: self-fulfilling prophecy with it in terms of if you can find people who are like-minded, who believe in collaboration, who believe in very client-centric outcomes, then by bringing those people together, yeah, the outcome from that should be far more positive than individual perhaps eager people saying no I'm I'm the leader I'm yeah. the gatekeeper it, it should it's
1: logical that that should be a better outcome for for everybody I think well I think it, I would say it's a better outcome for people that want to work in that way mm. now if people believe as you refer to as we are all uh, individuals uh, driven by ego and wanting to maximize their own reward or whatever. You know, Those who like that should continue doing it. I wouldn't want them to change because mm. that would be impossible. Yeah. But we need to make it possible for those who would like to approach advising in a different way to find a model for collaboration. Mm. Not just a, there's plenty of desire. We need to get down to the practicalities. Like how do you share information in between professions? Yeah. How do you navigate our professional guidelines? And how do we do it in a way that is uh, acceptable to the clients from a service perspective, from a cost Uh perspective? Is there a technological aspect to this in terms of storage and accessibility of information and security issues? And, you know, that's an interesting challenge. Uh. Uh, But for those who think that's not the way to go, then good on them, they should stick to their model. But those of us who believe it, Need to start having conversations like this more often than f- figuring yeah. out how, how how we do do it.
0: And then the the market will decide, won't right? Yeah, the market it, will decide in terms of if there's a demand for it. Um, if there's a demand and no supply, then then the consumer becomes frustrated. Um, and you know, if there is um, no demand
1: for it and somebody creates it, then yeah, and, and and some might say, well, wait for the demand. There is no demand among customers for yeah. that at the moment, but. um if you want to wait until the demand is there, you might have missed the opportunity yeah. because the opportunity for a lot of this in a, in a very disruptive market for professional advice is to see things differently, mm. to try to create different business models underpinned by technology where possible and deliver a, 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 an alternative service. Mm. And then, yes, you're absolutely right, the customer is going to decide. Yeah. Um, so, yeah.
0: Because wasn't it? I may be misquoting, but was it Henry Ford that said if you asked people what they wanted, it would have been faster horses or something? Yeah, yeah, like or you know, horses. yeah,
1: exactly, yeah. Um, no, so, no, nobody would have described a, a, a motor vehicle. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're maybe at one of those inflection points where. Um, the advisors from their position, uh, which has some objectivity and knowledge and experience, should be thinking, can we do this better? And if so, how so? Not waiting for the clients to come up and say, we've figured it out, can you do it this way? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I do think the I, the way I see this is the the interest, I, I, I'd stop short of seeing demand, but the interest is built from families becoming better educated and informed about their own realities, that's mm-hmm. knowledge. So they're still yeah. looking at advisors and say, can you do something about this? So the advisors have caught up and now we're thinking, yeah we can yeah. but can we do it better? Uh-huh. And if so, we need to develop new models of advising, new organisational structures to do that. Yeah. Uh, and given the size of the family business market that's just, the, you have to decide is that a, an opportunity for advisors? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, you don't have to Get a hundred percent correct, you could you know service one percent of the uk family business market and still be very successful yeah. so is, is the risk reward equation right to make the investment of time and training and te- kind of innovation mm. because the scale of the market justifies taking the risk yeah
0: and if you look at um, just the world we live in now I mean we we are able as individuals to to go to the internet to stick something into a search engine and find stuff so the the accessibility of information is much more um widespread now and, and far easier to, to get hold of and that is shaping how people consume services because they're able to find out an awful lot more about things before they then get in in touch with their professional advisors so th- mm. that's as an advisory community we need to understand and adapt to that rather than think well i'll just keep to the traditional i'm the gatekeeper my role safe and
1: yeah i i think i absolutely correct and i think um we all have to just accept that i understand in some parts of the world you could now get a medical diagnosis online you don't have to see a doctor so (laughs) there is no and and maybe that would be better if you saw a doctor but it's satisfactory without that human intervention maybe you and i will find very soon that clients will want an online version of a consulting mm-hmm. engagement. They don't want to pay for expensive consultants. Uh, sorry, value for money uh, <laughs> consultants. We're assuring the <laughs> <expensive>. <laughs> but they, they, they want to go online, they want the information, they want to DIY a solution so who's going to provide that? Mm-hmm. Um, so these are you know uh, challenges for... If, if advisors just want to say that will never affect me then that's fine. Mm. There's been plenty of other sectors I'm sure we're seeing travel agency, opticians and so forth. I've said that before and yep. it's kind of happened. So I'm a fatalist. I think it will happen to our profession. So the question is what we're going to do about it yep. and be on the front foot rather than waiting for the demand to wash us away.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you, you need to look at firms like Blockbuster and I mean Kodak
1: invented Digital yeah. photography, yeah. didn't they? <laughs> didn't yeah, I'm old it, enough then. to remember going out to hire videos of a Friday <laughs> yeah. night, so now that's that's yeah. just not happening. So yeah, I think there's that's progress. Mm. And progress is very challenging and very unsettling in some respects and incredibly exciting. Yeah. In others, so the conversation that we're having here is saying: look, advisors have got access to fantastic knowledge out there now if they want to get it. Mm-hmm. That's just a commercial choice yep. you either do or you don't if you do then you start to think these thoughts about hang on we could be doing a better service providing a better service for clients and even if we could collaborate with other advisors who have the same mentality and approach we could do an even better service mm-hmm. so then you're compelled to say well how, how do we do that uh, which I think takes you into completely new territories yeah. I think yeah I agree. And, and 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 exciting ones mm-hmm. well if you if we take the example of Blockbuster and going along
0: on a Friday night and renting a video for three days and having to post it back through the letterbox yep. um, when, when you were, were late. Um, we were all relatively happy with that. That was something that we were happy with yes. until something better came along, until Netflix or Amazon Prime or Apple TV were, were there. And we thought, actually, that's far more convenient. That's what I want. And then the the consumer demand shifted to something that is far more aligned to how we live our lives. And I can see that happening in the advisory space, where traditionally it has been, you go and see an a professional advisor rather than a team. Yeah. And actually, thinking about it, there is a better way to to be able to deliver that advice. And if it's created and it does work, then that's going to be the direction of travel.
1: Yeah, I I'd, I'd agree with all of that. That 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 seems inevitable, doesn't it? It's just a march of events. Mm. Um. The I think there's, I mean, I, and I come from the advisory community, so I feel like I can, and I've sort of stepped out a bit, I look back and I, I combine all that experience and there's innate, we are innately conservative and sometimes for very good reasons. Yeah. There's knowledge, there's traditions, there's values, there's practices which the professions try to sustain and, and they have to do that in face of the challenge that they have from technology, but we we can keep the best of what the professions stand for mm. and embrace the need to do things in a different way. And, you know, like multidisciplinary firms working together, yep. members of whom are subject to different professional regimes because of the uh, profession of which they, they are individual members. We, mm. need, we just need to kind of figure out how to do that. The, and there will be a way, there will be. Yep. Yeah, I certainly hope so. Yeah, well, (laughs) Well, we'll, hopefully we'll live long enough to see it, Russell. Absolutely.
0: Um, We're ending the the show now with um, our usual, uh, i say quick fire question, not quick fire at all. Um, (laughs) If you had um, one tip to pass on to family business, bear in mind this is your second show, so it has to be a different tip from last time. Right. Um, If you had one tip to pass on to family businesses, perhaps around this area, what, what would it be?
1: Well, the, things that, the thing that's front of mind, and I hope it's not the same as the last time, but based on our conversation is go to advisors who have a demonstrable knowledge and competence about family business. Oh, yeah. The same way you take your car to somebody that's demonstrable competence in servicing your particular of yeah. car, I'd say do the same with your advisors. Mm-hmm. There are, I would now say, plenty who are making a, a commitment to this field. They're learning they're developing new services, go and find them mm. and to those advisors, market yourself as having that. Yep. Um, I, probably they still represent the minority, so you might have to look hard, but I think given the importance that advice can have for the family and for their business and all manner of other things, I think that's worth the effort. Yep. I would wholeheartedly agree with that. Um,
0: where can our audience find out more about the report and about you and and the work you do?
1: Um, well, the report is published by Globe Law and Business, so that's Globelawandbusiness.com. Mm-hmm. They p- publish a whole lot of that uh, of, of 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 other titles too. Um, I can be contacted by email. I I've not. Uh, uh, yet got to creating a website or anything like that so but, um, I'm on LinkedIn and uh, the email is ken at m-fbc.com
0: Fantastic and once again thank you for your time and your insights we'll link everything up in the show notes so people can get in touch through there good. and uh, uh, hopefully we finish in time for you to go and catch your flight
1: Well thank you Russ. it's always a, always a pleasure having a discussion with you good to see you again Thank you I hope you found this episode useful
0: if you have then why not share it with your family and see what they think I work with families just like yours to help them to better understand the complexities that can come with being a family in business so whether you're just starting out or heading into the umpteenth generation if you feel that I could help check out fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with Russ and get in touch until next time take care